Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Hello, Johns Creek family, and Merry Christmas to you. I hope you had a fantastic day yesterday. You know, this is the week after Christmas. It's post-Christmas time now on your calendar, and that means some predictable energies and activities this week. Some of you will take down your tree. Some of you will undecorate, box it all up again for next year. Some of you will have to repair the home after your family has descended upon it for the holidays. And then some of you, you'll find yourself in a predictable situation. Somewhere, if you had a Christmas gift exchange, then it's possible that somewhere somebody got you a gift that just doesn't work. And it's not that you don't want it to work, but maybe the shirt is just like two sizes too big or the sweater is awkwardly small and tight. Or maybe the tie is not the right color or style. For whatever reason, you may find yourself this week or next standing in line at a customer service desk hoping that their return policy is in your favor. Stores have all kinds of return policies, don't they? Some are generous. Some are flexible. Others are strict, rigid. I mean, some stores will say, just bring it back as long as it's within 30 days, we'll take care of you. Others say, yeah, within 30 days, but you have to have your receipt. And if you don't have your receipt, you only get an in-store credit, or maybe, maybe you get a reduced refund amount. Whatever the case may be, every store has a policy. Some are generous, flexible, some are not. Not long ago, I, I found myself in an awkward spot. So I buy my clothes at Joseph A. Bank because my friend Tafari uh, hooks me up. He is a fantastic uh, business person and he has become a friend. He's Ethiopian. Uh, and because of that connection, we have a, a conversation every time we're there. We talk Ethiopian politics. We talk religion. Uh, we talk about church. And plus, it doesn't hurt that he has more style in his little finger than I have in my entire body. He's got dreadlocks down to his, his belt in the back and, and style just oozing. He, he knows how to put some things together. So I go see him. I walk away with some shirts that I needed. But the problem is COVID wasn't friendly to me and I put on some pounds. And so I had to go up in a couple of sizes. And as I did, I kind of overestimated, got home and realized the shirts were way too big. Well, like a dummy, I, I went ahead and wore them. I wore them thinking, well, maybe it'll, maybe it'll, it'll, you know, shrink up. I wore it a second day, another shirt, a second day. Well, maybe it'll feel different with like a different jacket on and a third day as well. Here I have three shirts that have all been worn. And now I have the audacity to call Tafari and say, Tafari, I've got a problem. He picked up the phone. He said, hey, what's up, Sean? I said, well, I think that I've made a mistake. He said, mistake? I said, yeah, Tafari, I, I got the wrong size shirts. 
And I said, that's not a problem. No, 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 but I've already warned them. I've already warned them. Like all three of them, I've already worn these shirts and I don't know what to do. And then there was this pause on the phone. He said, you don't know what to do. He said, you come back, you bring them in. And I said, but I've already warned them. I mean, do, you not, do I need to get them like dry cleaned or should I, do I need to pay something extra? I'm happy to, I hate to put you out. He said, Sean, listen, you and I both do something similar for our work. People make mistakes and we tell them to come back and we help them fix the mistake. Tafari, man, that will preach. And so it is with God's return policy. It's flexible and more generous than you could have ever imagined. In the scriptures, there is a dominant theme that runs throughout the whole sweep of sacred scripture. More than 400 times, there is a particular word that repeats itself again and again. You know what that word is? Return. Yeah, return. All through scripture, there are stories of individuals returning. There are spouses who return and siblings who return, families, tribes, whole nations are called to return. In fact, I could make the argument that the whole story itself is a story of returning. Remember the the poets at the beginning of the book tell us that this whole thing started in a garden a beautiful garden with this tree in the middle watered by these four rivers. And there were people in the garden and they walked with God in the cool of the day. And it was harmony, it was shalom, it was beautiful. And we're told at the end of the book, when all this is said and done and there is a a new heaven and new earth, the story ends with another garden. And in that garden, another tree and there is a a river that waters that tree and all nations will be gathered together and there will be harmony and shalom between people and between God. But between the two gardens, there is this story, this saga of returning. Yeah. So the most dominant story of returning throughout scripture comes in one particular family a family who becomes a nation of people called Israel, who become enslaved by another nation, Egypt. And the story picks up where God, this liberating God, rescues this people from enslavement. And then in the wilderness journey toward their promise, they they are shaped into God's own character. God sets expectations about what it means to live like people who've been set free by God like this. Here's the way that you order your life. This is the ethic by which you live your life. And he shapes them and molds them into a a people by his own name. And for a long time, it worked. For a long time, they lived into and up to their identity as as the people of a liberating God. And then that unify their kingdom. They build a glorious temple dedicated to this God. And, and then, they, then they build a palace that God really didn't ask for or desire. And, and then they begin to act like neighbors around them. 
They begin to act like the neighboring nations who had a different uh, ethic about being alive. In fact, they were told by the prophets that they began to build this temple and this palace using slave labor. They sold out their highest allegiance to nations around and they got into military uh, agreements and they sold and bought arms, even made deals with Egypt, their former enslavers. They began to act more and more like, well, they're enslavers rather than their liberating God. We're even told that the things that they built were built by slave labor. These, these former slaves now using slave labor to build a temple dedicated to the liberating God. Yeah, they had lost their way and destruction came. Then they move into exile and in exile, there is a whole chorus of prophets everywhere calling them to return to return to their fullest identity, to return to who they are meant to be as people of the liberating God, as people of Yahweh. Listen to what Zechariah says. He says, return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. Or in Hosea, listen to the, the passion of this voice. Oh, Israel, come back, come back, Re return to your God. You're down, but you're not out. Prepare your confession and come back to God. <laughs> Tafari was closer to the prophets than maybe he may have known. You just come back and God can fix it, right? So this is the refrain all throughout the story. The prophets cry out, return, return, come back. You're down but you're not out. But sometimes you, you know, right? That sometimes coming back, returning to God, returning to the place, the thing, the people, the way can be a lot harder than it sounds because the, the longer that you're away, the easier it is to stay away, isn't it? The longer that you're away, the more accustomed you come to being away. And, and it's not so much that you don't want to return. It's that maybe you just don't know how. I meet people all the time. Like the man I've told you about before I met in the parking lot. His life had fallen apart and, and the church knew it and we tried to reach out to him and see how we could aid, see how we can come to his service and support him. His business had a, a crisis. His family had a crisis. The marriage was falling apart. And one day I ran into him in the parking lot of a grocery store. I said, man, I've missed you. We've been trying to reach out to you. Where have you been? And he said, yeah, we're just going through a really hard time right now. And and I don't know, I, we just, we wouldn't feel right coming back until we get some things together. At, and even every time I tell that story, as almost now it's become a bit of a parable now, but I, 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 I see the look on his face and I, I remember feeling this kind of like air go out of the balloon. Like, are you kidding me? Who taught you that you have to have your life cleaned up before you return. The church 
is intended to be a hospital for the sick and the hurting. Not some social club for those who are already perfected. No, come back. Is there, is there something to which God is calling you to return? Is God calling you to return to church? To your Sunday school community? Is there some relationship that you have walked away from and, and God has been calling you to return and reconcile and make peace? Is that relationship with God? Because, beloved, I, I don't know any other way to say it. God's return policy is far more generous than you can think. Sometimes we just, we don't know how. That's why I really love the prophet Joel. So Joel is also a prophet who is speaking at the same time as these other prophets who keep, keep repeating the refrain, come home, return, return, return. Except Joel says it in a way that not only describes why to come, but also how to come home. We read in the second chapter of the book called Joel, we read these words in verse 12, Rend your hearts and not your garments. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Re return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents from punishing. <laughs> Why return? Well, because this God has written a return policy that is slow to anger and abiding in steadfast love. But how you return, it's interesting. Joel uses a word that we really don't use much, at least in spiritual conversations. It's the word rend, rend your heart, rend your heart. The custom in Joel's day was if you were grieving something, if you were mourning, if you were lamenting, it was a custom to take your garment and simply rip it wide open. It's really a beautiful expression if you think about it. The, the clothing that you're wearing is so weaved together that it's connected. It, the fabrics are all, all weaved in such a way that it makes a unit, but to rip it is a sign that the thing that was meant to be weaved together has come unraveled. And when you rend your clothing, you're attempting to say to the universe and particularly to God, there is something unraveling in me. But Joel knew that sometimes we can put on a show. Sometimes the rending of the garment can just be an act. It's a little bit like when you know, when the kids do something wrong and, and you get on to them and they say they're sorry, but they say they're sorry in a way that demonstrates that they're not really sorry. They're more like sorry that they got caught rather than actually grieving the thing that they did wrong, right? Well, Joel knew this. That's why he said, rend your hearts and not your garments. In other words, the first step of actually returning to God is to come to a place in your heart where you are heartbroken over 
where the journey has taken you. To rend your heart means to, in all humility, open yourself before the one who you may have left. So rending the heart is the first step. Because unless you acknowledge that you have come far from home, there's really no incentive to return. But the Hebrew mind talks about rending the heart in ways that are more than just feeling bad about it. God doesn't simply want you to feel bad about whatever it is that you've left, whether you have to return to a, a daily practice of prayer and scripture reading and service and justice and acts of compassion or church attendance, whatever it is that you've left, whatever it is that God is calling you to return to, God doesn't simply want you to feel bad about it. That would be sinister. That would be unlike the God we know in the face of Jesus. What God wants is for you to change, for something to change. So to rend the heart says, I am open to a change in my life. That means the second step in returning to God is to repent. Now, repent is not a popular word, right? We don't, we don't use it in everyday language, and it's sometimes uncomfortable because of what it kind of connotes some of the images that may come to your mind of, I don't know, TV preachers and, you know, guilt trips and whatever. But to repent, well, you know, repent was the first word in the first message that Jesus preached. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In the Hebrew mind, to repent, well, the word is shuv. The word literally means to be moving in one direction and to come to a place where you stop and you turn around 180 degrees and go back in the other direction. To repent means to turn around. From what? Is God calling you to turn around? In, in, in the Greek language, there's also a similar word as metanoia. Metanoia is a word that means changed mind. It means to change your mind. Like meta, meaning bigger, higher, noia from thinking. It's, it's just like when you're paranoid. Para means to be beside something. When you're paranoid, you're outside your mind. You're beside your normal mind, right? Metanoia is to have a higher way to think about this, to change the way you think about your life. When Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of God is near, Jesus was literally calling people to change the way they think about being alive in this world. The kingdom of God is here. It's near. It's closer than you think. And if you've run far from it, you can return. But it takes a change of mind. It takes stopping the direction in which we're moving and turning around to go the opposite way. So Eugene Peterson, uh, the great writer and the, the author of the translation, the Message Bible, right? Um, he tells the story of one day he was trying to change the, the, the blades on his lawnmower. He was out in his yard and he was getting frustrated because he couldn't get the blades to come off. And he was trying to unscrew the bolt as, as, as mightily as he could. And he would turn it. He had the wrench on there. He put all his weight behind it and it wouldn't budge. 
He even got a four-foot pole, attached it to the, the wrench to get more leverage and put all of his weight behind it, and it simply wouldn't budge. He used a hammer to try to bang it off, a rock to try to knock it off, and it wouldn't budge. A neighbor walking by came over to talk to him. He said, yeah, you know, I think I used to have a, a lawnmower just like that. It was the same model, and if I recall, I think that the bolts there where you're working are made with threads that are reversed. In other words, it, it's a reverse thread bolt where you'd, you'd have to go the opposite way. And, and sure enough, one turn of the wrench in the opposite direction, and he was back in business. It's interesting how much of our lives we will, we, will, we will know that nothing's working. It's not moving. It's not budging. But we'll keep trying to move in the same direction that we've been moving, even though, even though it's, it's not working. The call to repent is simply a call to go the other way. Returning to God is simpler than we think. Returning to the thing that God is calling you to. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the thing to which God is calling you to return is, is church, to community, to a daily practice, to a relationship. But maybe God is also calling you to some unfinished task, to some unattended calling that God has placed on your life, but you've been going the opposite direction for some reason. And maybe, maybe you think that you can't come back because you've already worn the shirts. You, you've already worn all three of them, and, and surely the policy prevents me from being able to, well, to fix this mistake. Not God's return policy. It's been paid in full. And God is ready when you're ready to return. This is my prayer for you that you would know that there is always a God in pursuit of you. Even in those days when you, I don't know, maybe don't believe in God. God believes in you. And even when you not only are not pursuing God, but are running in the opposite direction, God is pursuing you, hoping that you will stop, rend your hearts open to the possibility of an about face, because the truth is, if we return to God, it's not some naive returning, by the way. It's not as if when you return from where you've been that you're somehow going back to the way things were. They will never be the way things were because you will never undo or unknow where, what you now know, unsee what you have now seen. In every great novel in literature, in every great epic film, the hero's journey always has a pre predictable arc. The hero goes out to live, to experience, to adventure. And then there is some falling, some failing, some humbling. And they come back, but they come back not to the way things were, but they come back with an informed coming back. And now they'll never be the same. In Christ, when you return and come in him. You are, as Paul says, in every conceivable way, a brand new creation. All things old have passed away. And behold, everything, everything is made new. <laughs> 